But we're in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 uh, through 31. And uh, it's a long passage of scripture, so we can just remain seated as I read. But let's look to the word of the Lord. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would anoint it, um, that you would give me the freedom to uh, speak what you've laid upon my heart, and that you would open our ears to and our heart to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to start with a disclaimer. I always start with disclaimers. I apologize, Pastor. I don't mean to do that. I just get self-conscious. Um, as I speak, I'm going to use pronouns such as we and us. I want you to know that whenever I prepare a message, it's very self-reflective, and I really mean I and me. So um, if you're feeling a little like the conviction's a little harsh, just remember it's directed at this guy here. So, a um, couple of things. I, uh, preparing a sermon is hard for me um, lately since um, I teach second grade and I spend most of my time with a bad case of stripes or Alexander and Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Bad Day or Dr. Seuss, The Cat in the Hat. So, I'm wrestling with it. And um, as, I, as I get into the, dig, the deep dive of Scripture, um, it kind of reveals things that God would like me to, to deal with. So I'm going to share with you some of that. Um, I've been discouraged as of late, and I know those of you that have heard me speak for, before, that comes as a shocker to you. Um, I kind of feel like Alexander, the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Um, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth. I woke up with gum in my hair. <laughs> I went downstairs for cereal, and my oldest brother got a toy in his cereal box, and my other brother got a toy in his cereal box, and all I had in my cereal box was cereal. It's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And it works on Alexander's attitude the whole 
day. And so when I have a bad attitude like that or I'm having a bad day, I try to do things to escape it. Like I'll turn on the news. <laughs> or watch television or a movie. By the way, um, The Jesus Revolution has been released on Netflix. How many have seen that movie? Okay, how many have seen that movie more than once? How many know there are issues with that movie? When I watch that movie, it makes me relate with the pastors and feel like, am I really ready for God to use me? Or are my failings going to get in the way of God's power? Or is my ego need to be in check? So, yeah. But it is on Netflix. Uh, I've seen that three times. I don't really want to watch it again, but we will. <laughs> um, sometimes uh, there are other things that help my mood, like sometimes church, you know. There are issues in church sometimes with, you know, the world is targeting our, our children. You know, that movie out, uh, what was the name of that movie? Sound of Freedom. Um, we see that um, there are people who, with bad intentions. Our, you know, our media targets our children. Young people that grow up in the church and then they go away to school and they kind of fall away from the Lord. Pastor talked about a group of people known as, uh, well, the nuns, and then they have the duns, and then I'm going to add to that the funs. You know, they come to church for fun. Okay. Uh, obviously, no. The only ones, those types of people. Um, or reflecting on my children, my grandchildren, my spouse, my parents, my family, of not people walking with the Lord. Anybody ever like that that discourages you with people that you love are not serving God? Sometimes the world seems upside down. There are groups. There are uh, groups that I oppose. There are groups that oppose me. There are people that I agree with. Our world is in confusion, corruption, crime, and chaos. And we're called to make a change. Seems kind of like an impossible task. You see what I did there? Oh, I'm sorry. That's enough of that. I did that before. Um, there's also a Mission Impossible movie out. This is like the seventh in a row on that movie. Um, but uh, did you know there are lyrics to that song? Yeah. There is. Here they go. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's impossible. She's not, she's not having it. No? Okay. But it seems like an impossible mission. And I can kind of relate sometimes with the rich young ruler. Can anybody else relate to the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus and has this great intention? He falls at his knees and says, Teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Right? He wants the right thing. He's got the right posture. He's on his knees, right? And he says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he <laughs> gets sad. It's hard. And that's kind of the point of this passage, isn't it? That following Jesus is hard. Now, I don't want to get into the rich young ruler and, and, and break down that. I think lots of other people have done that. But um, I want to focus on uh, some things that, that have stood out to me. And 
it deals with verse 21. It says, Jesus looked at him. Now, I'm going to take a moment there and let your mind go, bam. No, it's not doing it? Because you're sitting in my spot. That's, that's, that's how I teach. I pick out a spot, and I just teach to you. Lucky you. Um, yes, it's the hot seat. Um, Jesus looked at him. But I want to sh- share with you that Jesus did not look at the rich young ruler the same way the disciples in the crowd looked at the rich young ruler. Because being wealthy was considered to be blessed by God. And so here this man comes to Jesus, and everybody in the crowd's going, oh, see who he's getting now, right? He's getting a better class of clientele. You know, when you're getting those people that roll in the, in the limousines that come to your church, you're going, <laughs> I've arrived. No more of these uh, Honda, well, I don't want a bad mouth Hondas. No more of the Volkswagen bugs. I got, do you want me to tell the joke about the limousine? We can do that. You don't know it? Okay. My daughter got married, and uh, we rented a limousine. We paid $350 for this limousine, and it didn't come with a driver. <laughs> All that money and nothing to show for it. Okay, moving along. All right, sorry. Um, so Jesus did not look at the rich young ruler in the same manner that the disciples did or the crowd. They thought that uh, he was a get, that he was somebody that was really, it was, this is a good thing that he's coming to our church now because we need the money, right? And he's got a lot of it, right? Uh, we can put him on the board. <laughs> did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I just have to say that I haven't been pastoring for a little bit, so I might be a little moving along. Um, so the idea was is that Jesus was not impressed with his wealth. He was not impressed with his posture. He was not impressed with the way he addressed him. He came and fell on his knees and said, good teacher. And how does Jesus respond? Why do you call me good? And that guy's going, Now, that's not the response I wanted. That's not what I expected. Why do you call me good? No one but God is good. Good teacher, how can I gain eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. What did you learn in Sunday school? Why are you here for? You know the commandments. Do that. He was looking for, the rich young guru was looking for something else. And Jesus was just letting it out. What did he say to him? Why do you call me good? See, Jesus saw the rich young ruler different. He didn't see him with his wealth. His wealth was a mask. His wealth was a covering. His wealth was a cover-up to hide what we all know is true. That Jesus knew what was true. That man was broken. That was a broken man in need of a Savior. And see, what we have here is we need to to get the eyes of Jesus. And we need to stop seeing people as the world sees them. We need to stop seeing people from a worldly perspective, Paul puts it. Because we've been ransomed by God, because we've been reconciled to God, we now no longer see people 
uh, from that worldly perspective. We can't see them as our enemies. We can't see them as the people that oppose us. We can't see them as um, uh, the people that we're going to fight with because the Bible tells us in uh, Ephesians 6.12 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and powers and rulers of the air. And we know this talk of spiritual warfare, don't we? How many realize that in the day and age that we live in, we need a fresh perspective? In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, this is the story of Elisha, and I know that most of you are familiar with this story. Um, Elisha had a way of making friends, and the king of Aram was out to get him and sent his army after him. And uh, Gehazi, uh, Elisha had a friend, a servant named Gehazi, and Gehazi went out to water the horses in the morning. He looked up, and he saw that the hills were filled with chariots, and the army of the king of Aram were out to get them. He had a very terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> and he's like, Elisha, we got to go. And Elisha said, don't worry about it. There are more that are with us than are against us. And I, uh, I used to listen to Leon Batilla had a take on this. He, he said in the microphone, when he's telling the story, he says, and Gehazi said, what, are you drunk? What do you mean there's more for us than there are against us? Look out there. And Elisha said, he prayed, and he asked God to open his eyes. And he opened his eyes, and he saw into the spiritual realm. And he saw chariots of fire, and the host of the heaven were surrounding them. And, of course, uh, the rest of the story is God uh, blinded their army's eyes, and, had, and Elisha had a great victory that day. And it wasn't a bad day after all. They got the victory. And so we need a fresh, godly perspective. We need to look at people the way that Jesus looked at the rich young ruler. Not in the eyes of the natural, not in the eyes of the physical, not in the eyes that, oh, this guy's got it all together. I can spend my time on someone who really needs me. But we need to understand that people are broken. Let me say that again. We need to understand that people are broken. They're lost. They're confused. Uh, they're captives. These are terms that the Bible refers to as unbelievers, as sinners, that they're lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, when uh, he meets Zacchaeus, he says, uh, that he was called to the lost sheep uh, of Israel. Um, he tells the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Sinners and unbelievers are lost. The Bible uses the term that they were sick. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, in the story of Matthew, uh, he says it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Um, Sinners and unbelievers are blind. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, unbelievers are blinded by the God of this age. Have you ever said, can't people see this? It's right there. Can't they see? And the answer is no, they can't. They're blinded. The God, has bl the God of this age has blinded their eyes. They cannot see. They're, they're deceived. They're prisoners. John chapter 8, verse 36 uh, they're slaves, they're captives to their sin, and they're dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, uh, the wages of sin is death, Ephesians 2, 5. 
Uh, you were once dead in your transgressions. We need to start making a concerted effort to see people as broken people in need of a Savior. And then we have to take that perspective and act upon it. Broken people need the truth that they are broken. How many of you, whenever you've tried to talk to somebody and you want to share your faith, you kind of soft pedal it because you want them to like you? I want people to like me. I want to be liked. The, the, the number one thing in my life was when I discovered that somebody didn't like me. It was like, what? What's not to like? How can you not like me? And it would, I would obsess over it. But I can't control whether people like me or they don't. But I can control whether I tell them the truth or not. You're broken. And you need a savior. Romans chapter 3.23. We know the scripture. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, when we talk about sin, we have to enforce what Pastor talked about. We need, to we need to proclaim that we are all born into sin. That's it, that mankind. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In addition to that, if you don't have that down... There are also sins of commission, things that you do that you're not supposed to do, and sins of omission, things that you're supposed to do that you don't do. And so if you sit down and have a frank discussion, you can come to the terms when you pull out the Ten Commandments and say, you know, there's somewhere room in here for you to understand that you're not where you need to be. And sin separates you from God. Jesus responded, you know the commandments. Pilgrim's Progress. When Pilgrim got a hold of the, the, the book of the law, when he got a hold of the, the, the Bible, uh, it revealed that he had a burden on his back. Where'd that burden come from? I didn't know I had it until what? Until he read the word of God. Uh, we were reading Josiah. When Josiah read the law, he when the law was read to Josiah, he, he tore his garments because he realized he was not where he was supposed to be. See, that's the point of proclaiming the gospel is that we tell people are sinners and that they're separated from God. Paul, when he's talking about this, uh, the things that he does that he, he doesn't want to do, and the things that he doesn't want to do, that he, he, whatever that order, I think I just messed that up. Um, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me from this body that is subject to death? See, that battle is within all of us, whether we have... Uh, been saved or not, we still struggle with the sinful nature, do we not? So what's the answer? What's the response? What, what do we do, what do we tell these broken people when we tell them that they're broken? Yes! You know what? I think that if I was a broken person and I heard that, I would consider that to be Good news, right? That's your second fill-in. An unexpected resource. See, what's that unexpected resource? You. You have the good news. It's called the gospel. Jesus gave it to us, and he commissioned us to proclaim it to where? To the world, to the ends of the earth, right? Good news. You have the good news that there is a Savior. And what did Jesus say to our rich young ruler? 
He looked at him, and the Bible says he loved him. He looked at him, you're broken, but good news, God loves you. Good news, I know why you're broken, and I'm going to fix you. One thing you lack, that's that you're broken, one thing you lack, and then come follow me. And the saddest part of the Bible is where the rich young ruler was sad and went away. How many of you have ever shared the gospel with somebody and you knew if they just gave Jesus a chance, if they just asked him into his life, that he would change their life, that this brokenness, this pain that they're wallowing in, that it would be gone. We're not responsible for their response. We're responsible to tell them the truth. We're responsible to share the gospel. I jumped the gun on my limousine, Joe, Pastor, I'm sorry. So um, I was going to say my daughter discovered this song when she was about 10, I think. I don't know the timelines, right? It's If I Had a Million Dollars. Have you ever heard that song? If I had a million dollars. What's she going to do with a million dollars? You're going to buy all kinds of things that you can share with people. I'd buy you a house. I'd buy you furniture for that house, including an ottoman. I'd buy you a nice car, like a Reliant K car. So it's a goofy song, and it's funny. And um, if you had a million dollars, you would want to share it. We have this treasure from God. Yes, it's in jars of clay. Yes, we're not perfect. Yes, we have lots of things that people could see about us that can take away or hinder the message. But we have it, do we not, church? We have this treasure in jars of clay, and the point of us having it is to share it. God loves you. Some of us, we can get this out. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know that he finds those who are lost. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He releases those who are captive. He raises the dead. Uh, God illuminates the source of their brokenness, but God provides the remedy, which is the cross. And just like in Mission Impossible, those, those agents that have to choose, they have to choose their mission. This mission, if you choose to accept it, you and I have to choose to accept our mission to share what God has given us. And then the people that hear the truth have to choose whether they receive it or not. And it's a hard saying. We are all about grace. Talking about God's grace. By grace you are saved through faith, not of your works. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. He loves you. But there is a choice you have to make. And that choice is the cross. That choice involves repentance. We are called to repent, to turn away from our sin. We're, we're called to lay our burden down as Christian is supposed to do that. We are called to open our eyes if we were blind. We're called to shake off our shackles. We're called to come forth as Lazarus was. If Lazarus wouldn't have come forth, he would still be dead. He would still be in the ground. He needed to obey the call of Jesus. And when the truth is put forth, uh, we need to obey and carry our cross. We need to turn to him. We need to carry our cross and follow him. Grace is easy. So, uh, uh, discipleship is hard. But if we have a perspective of knowing uh, 
who God is and who is with us. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which men might be saved. We understand that he is the truth. And we understand that when we come to him and he saves us, we are a new creation. All things are made new. And he walks that way with us. And he carries our burdens. We can become Christ's ambassadors. Uh, Paul says, as though God were making his appeal through us. See, when we tell people that they're broken and we point them to the cross, we can also tell them our story and show them that, you know, you're broken, but so am I. And God uses broken people like me to help broken people like you. We're all sinners saved by grace. I just know where to receive salvation from. I'm going to skip that. Point three. The feeling is revival will come. Jesus' revolution, when I, when I saw that movie, it upset me a little bit because I walked out of that theater going, do it again, Lord. Do it again. Do it again. I have heard of your deeds. Okay? I, I, Habakkuk 3, 2. I have heard of your deeds. I have heard of your fame. Do it now in my lifetime. Use me. Change the world. See, in our verse... Jesus wants to do that. He talks about, down at the end, there will be people who will, um, uh, who will follow me and they'll give up, give up everything to follow me and then all that will be returned to them and eternal life as well. See, Jesus didn't come to speak to an empty building. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and bring them into the kingdom of God. It's his desire to see the lost get found. It's his desire for people to get saved. It's his desire to see revival. Is it yours? See, this message is intended to inspire and to challenge and to motivate you. How many of you have read 2 Chronicles 7, 14? If my people who are called by my name do what? Humble themselves. How many know that we in the American church need a good dose of that? We need to humble ourselves and do what? And pray. See, we, this is the me part, see that? And seek my face. That means that there's a difference there between praying and seeking his face. What's the difference? The difference is the earnestness. The earnestness between the, the, the difference is the rich young ruler and his earnestness coming to Jesus for eternal life and the prodigal son coming home. Lord, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me eat with the servants. Because I've had enough. I've had enough of being broken. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. God's people, turn from their wicked ways. Oh, I don't have any wicked ways. Sure about that? 
Remember that sins of omissions part, right? What are you supposed to be doing that you're not doing? Lord, I want to see it now in my lifetime. 1 Peter 4, 3, Peter talks, he's talking to believers here. He says, for you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. But live according to God in Christ, in the Spirit, excuse me. And the end of all things is near. I believe the end of all things is near. I believe Jesus is coming soon. I want to be about my father's business. I want to hear him say, well done. I want him to use me. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What does that mean? It means be Be prepared. If someone asks you, if someone comes up to you and approaches you, have something meaningful to share with them to help them know that they're broken. To help them know that Christ is the answer, that the cross is the remedy, and that he will walk with them and carry their burdens. We need a new perspective. We need a spiritual perspective. Instead of looking at how the world is upside down, we need to see with our spiritual eyes that the fields are white with harvest. We need to understand that we are a resource and we have a responsibility. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need to say with Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Use me. And we need to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We need to pray for revival to happen. We need to pray for God to change uh, this world in which we live. That's your mission if you choose to accept it. And if you do, I'd like you to go up there and cross out that part that says mission impossible. Cross out the I am and write in big words up there, possible. Because not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Pastor always does this growth work, so I did a little bit of my own here. Number one, know what you believe. That's what we're doing when we come to church and we, um, we go through Bible study. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Secondly, live for Jesus. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Just live and share honestly. You have a story. Share it. It makes a difference. I was watching a friend of mine. Um, he was telling his, his story of how he got saved. And uh, one of the things was he talked about he was in the playhouse when he was young with his, little, with his little friend. And his little friend asked him, what religion am I? So I shouted at my house, hey, Ma, what religion am I? I was that little friend. And so uh, his faith journey became my faith journey. And you never know uh, how powerful your story is until you share it. And then lastly, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. Jesus is coming. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But before you come, Lord, revive us. Bring a revival. Bring an awakening. Bring a renewal in this land. 
We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and now is above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Thank you.